I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hello, this is Kieran Tierney. Welcome to the latest edition of Arsenal Audio Programme. Arsenal versus West Ham United, Premier League, Saturday, March 7th, 3pm. Content, Head Coach, Captain, Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang. Voice of Arsenal, Player Feature, Granite Saka. Player Feature, Academy, Part 1. Academy, Part 2. Club Culture. Match Action, UEFA Europa League, Round of 32, Second Leg. Arsenal versus Olympiacos. 35 years in the community. Match action. The Emirates FA Cup 5th round Portsmouth versus Arsenal. My story. At home with Pablo Murray. Arsenal family. My Arsenal. Visitors. West Ham United. Teams. Mikel Arteta. All focus is on today's match to put last week's disappointment behind us. The last time we played here was a really difficult moment for all of us because we had a lot of hope in the Europa League this season. But now we need to react and bounce back. There's no time to waste. The victory over Portsmouth in the FA Cup on Monday night has given us the opportunity to build some momentum today with a positive result. Looking back on that game, we had to fight through a little bit of a moment at the start, but after that we started to dominate possession and play in the opposition half, control the situation much better. We scored before the break to give ourselves a deserved lead, and in the end we really should have scored more. To go to Fratton Park with seven under-23 players and dominate completely is a little bit unrealistic, but I was really pleased with all of them. The young players responded really well. Their energy. I was looking at them in the 94th minute and they were still pressing, going and chasing. It's a joy to watch them and I am really enjoying working with them. They fully deserve the chance and I don't know if it is risky to play them in this competition, but they are worth a risk. I have to manage the resources that we have at the moment and the young players are a big resource right now. 
It's not just because they're young and they can be good in the future, because they are already very good. Some of them can be phenomenal, but they can only be phenomenal, or very good, if they play in a consistent way and we get them surrounded with good coaching, with good club culture, and also with good players around them. We have to support them. I'm ready to support them, and so far, they've responded very well. But, of course, one negative from that game is Lucas Torreira picking up an injury to his ankle. Injuries are always frustrating for all of us, but it's part of football. It also happens to many other teams, so we cannot be crying about that. It is what it is. Most importantly, we all hope Lucas is back training with the group as soon as possible. And we have a positive as well, with Kieran Tierney coming back to full training after his shoulder injury that he picked up in December. Kieran's feeling more and more confident now with contact around him and hopefully he will be in a match day squad soon. It will be great to have him back. Like every single game, today of course is another important one because if we secure three points, we're one step closer to the top five teams. That's our only focus, the next game. If game by game we go and start winning three points here and three points there, then it will make the last few weeks of the season very interesting. As for our opponents today, they've caused a lot of big teams a lot of trouble recently. And I know David Moyes well because I worked with him for seven years at Everton. I know his structure and I know how organised he is. I'm sure he'll put a team out there that is going to make life very difficult for us. They will compete and they will be physical, so we need to use our resources, play our game and then just think about performing. That performance will bring the points home. We'll also be going up against a former gunner and one of my old teammates in the form of Lucas Fabianski today. He's a really nice lad and he was always fantastic to have around the place. He's a top professional and a very good goalkeeper. He went through some really difficult moments with some of the injuries he's had, but he also had some really good moments at the club where he earned his place as number one in the team. He overcame some difficult situations and showed the person that he is mentally. But I hope he's not celebrating today. Our only focus is all on getting three points and keeping our run in the league going. Thanks for your support again this week in Portsmouth. Enjoy the game. Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang, the captain on moving forward after the heartbreak finale against Olympiacos. We are back at the Emirates today, 10 days after a huge disappointment against Olympiacos. It's still hard to talk about that game now. It was such a tough defeat to take. It hurt so bad. The Europa League was a big objective for us, and we had this tie under control. But I just felt we didn't put enough intensity into the game. It was hard to break their defence down. It was even tougher after their first goal. It was such a roller coaster of emotions. I really thought that we'd scored the goal that would send us through. I'd never scored a scissors kick before in my career. It was the first one. The truth is, I was having cramps just before. My legs were so heavy and I was in pain. I didn't know how I'd jumped to volley the ball like I did. I can still hear the stadium erupting and exploding. It was amazing. I was thinking, this is it. We have done it. I thought we can control the remaining five or six minutes of the games and qualify. Yet we conceded again. As we were kicking off, the referee told us that he was adding an extra two minutes, so we knew we had enough time to create one more chance. 
It came my way. I was a bit surprised that the ball reached me the way it did. I didn't expect it. I just didn't think. And I hit it. I was convinced it was going in. Maybe I rushed it a bit. I think if I'd have been fresher, with a bit more energy, it would have waited half a second before striking that ball, and I would have scored. When I saw the ball going wide, I felt the whole world was crumbling around me. I was livid and so down. I felt I let the team down. I felt I let the club down. I should have scored. I took the elimination on me. I had put us through. I received a lot of messages from Arsenal fans, and I felt it as a really nice comfort. I really want to thank you all for that. I really feel that I failed you all by missing that last chance. I felt responsible. But I am the club captain, and I didn't want to hide behind my disappointment. I had to react as a captain. I went and spoke to the media afterwards, and I took the game as a lesson. We have to stay positive and move forward, learning from it. My message to the boys was very much to get us all together and to go again. We are out of the competition in a cruel way, but we still have the FA Cup and the Premier League to fight for. We can't go back to Olympiacos match, unfortunately. We have to move forward. And the Portsmouth game was so important after that. There was no way we were going to be knocked out from another competition four days later. The message was well received and the boys showed great character at Portsmouth. It was a tough place to go, yet we controlled the game and we played with a lot of maturity. The youngsters did us proud and done to them. It's not the first time that they've delivered this season. It won't be the last either. It was a really good win at Fratton Park, especially on the back of the Olympiacos loss. We are still in two competitions and we will give everything to perform to the best in both. We need to get more points in the league now and this home game is crucial for us. West Ham have some momentum coming up to the Emirates today and we need to be ready on and off the pitch. We need all your support and also really effective on the pitch in both boxes. At home, we have to get the job done. We are a good side with the talented squad with players like Sebastian, Philippe and Declan. They should be in a better position in the table. However, we have a lot of confidence and motivation too. This could still be a very good season and we want to give it everything that we have. Finally, I also want us all to send strength and courage to our women's team. Their defeat at the last minute in the Continental Cup final on Saturday against Chelsea was heartbreaking. They are such a good team and I'm sure they will bounce back and win many trophies in months to come. Enjoy the game today and come on the Arsenal. Voice of Arsenal. Date confirmed for Manchester City away. Our Premier League match against Manchester City at the Etihad Stadium has been moved to Wednesday, March the 11th, kicking off at 7.30pm and will be shown live on Sky Sports. The original match was scheduled to take place on March the 1st, but was postponed due to Manchester City's participation in the Carabao Cup final that same day. The game will be played next Wednesday to avoid potential fixture congestion for both teams towards the end of the season. We are pleased to confirm that the club is subsidising coach travel to and from Manchester. Please go to arsenal.com for details. Also, as a result of our continued participation in the Emirates FA Cup, our game against Southampton, scheduled for March the 22nd, has now been postponed. The standard 
TV selections have now been made up to and including April the 27th. Ordinarily, fixtures up to this date will not now change. However, as ever, all fixtures remain subject to change and circumstances may yet arise which result in further fixture changes. Coronavirus Precautions All supporters will be aware of the global concern over the spread of the coronavirus. To help prevent infection, please take this advice provided by the NHS. Always carry tissues with you and use them to catch your cough or sneeze. Bin the tissue. And to kill the germs, wash your hands with soap and water or use a sanitizer gel. An audience with Arsene Wenger and David Dine. Arsene Wenger, our most successful manager and now FIFA's Chief of Global Football Development and David Dine, MBE, former Vice Chairman of Arsenal and the FA, are taking to the stage at the London Palladium on April the 27th. Arsene and David will discuss their time at the club, the state of football today, and where they think it will go in the future. The two will discuss how together they shaped the most successful period in Arsenal's history. The conversation will leave no stone unturned, covering the title wins, high-profile transfers and star players that defined their time in North London. With David having been the leading figure in the formation of the Premier League and Arsenal's new role at FIFA, the two will also be sure to discuss the most pressing issues of the modern game, including VAR, financial fair play and the offside rule. The night will be hosted by Ian Wright, MBE, Alex Scott, MBE and Dermot O'Leary. There will be celebrity guests and invincibles and includes a Q&A with Arsene and David. The night is being organised in support of the Twinning Project charity www.twinningproject.org which twins football clubs with their local prison. It focuses on reducing reoffending rates in the UK by delivering coaching and referees courses to offenders, giving them the necessary lifestyle skills to succeed on the outside. During the event, there will be an auction of once-in-a-lifetime experiences. To buy a ticket for this unique event, please visit lwtheatres.co.uk slash venga hyphen dine or call 020-7087-7755. Prog Fact Season 1975-76 to was a difficult one for the Gunners, the 17th place finish in Division 1 representing our lowest finish in a century of consecutive seasons in the top flight. So a 6-1 win over West Ham on March the 20th, 1976 provided blessed relief amid difficult results. Brian Kidd's hat-trick, complemented by two goals from Alan Ball and one from Geordie Armstrong, Billy Jennings scored for the Hammers. Interestingly, the programme featured an interview with saucy star of the Carry On movies, Barbara Windsor, which started, I fell about laughing when I heard the FA wanted to stop footballers kissing and cuddling on the pitch. Matchball Sponsor As a long-time Arsenal fan, it is a pleasure for Razik Mystery to visit from Arizona to be at the Emirates Stadium with my brother Raman Mystery his son Max Mystery and my brother-in-law Jitendra Panchal. We look forward to an Arsenal win. Picture of the week. 
Sheffield United and the Emirates FA Cup. Following our win at Portsmouth, we have been handed another away trip in the quarter-final, a challenging trip to Bramall Lane to take on Sheffield United. The match is scheduled to take place over the weekend of Saturday, March the 21st. Please stay close to arsenal.com for the confirmed date and details of tickets and travel. We met Sheffield United in the FA Cup most recently in 2005, winning on penalties, and also in the 2003 semi-final when David Seaman made this stunning save in a 1-0 win at Old Trafford. The full draw for the quarter-finals is Sheffield United vs Arsenal, Newcastle United vs Manchester City, Norwich City vs Manchester United, Leicester City vs Chelsea. Adidas, bag it! In every programme this season, we are giving away one of these fantastic Adidas holdalls, perfect for all the brilliant new Arsenal kit swag. To be in with a chance of winning, answer the following question correctly. Which Arsenal legend and coach also played for West Ham? A. Steve Bould B. Pat Rice C. Freddie Longberg Email your answers to programme at arsenal.co.uk or tweet us at at AFC Programme. Answers by Friday, March the 13th. Brighton versus Arsenal away screening. We are pleased to announce that we will be showing a live screening of our away match at Brighton. The event is exclusive to paid members in the Royal Oak Suite at Emirates Stadium. Doors open at 1.15pm on Saturday, March the 14th. Upon arrival, you will receive a voucher that can be redeemed for either a pint of beer, a 175ml glass of wine, or a 250ml soft drink. Please note that seating is unreserved for this event. Tickets are limited and sold on a first-come, first-served basis, so be sure to get your tickets early. Adult members, £8. Junior Gunner members, £6.50. Visit arsenal.com to purchase your tickets. Ref Watch Our referee this afternoon is Martin Atkinson from Drylington, West Yorkshire. Atkinson began his refereeing career at just 16 years of age and has gone on to become one of the most experienced officials in the Premier League. After starting in local leagues, he advanced to the Football League's list of assistant referees in 1998. Promotion soon followed, and he was an assistant referee in the Premier League between 2000 and 2003, but his first taste of refereeing in the top flight came at Manchester City's clash at Crystal Palace in the 2004-05 season. He's been a permanent fixture in the Premier League ever since. Atkinson has been a FIFA-listed official since 2006 and is one of a handful of select group referees who is an elite FIFA referee. He has also officiated Champions League matches as well as fixtures at Euro 2012. He has taken charge of 402 Premier League fixtures, showing 61 red cards and 1,339 yellows. 44 of those games have involved Arsenal with us winning 20, drawing 10, and losing 14. The Addy Years Arsenal played West Ham at Highbury on November 8, 1986, just three months into their Adidas life. The Hammers, however, were embarking on a farewell season, 
having been early adopters of the brand six seasons previously for the start of 1980-81. The Dürer encounter ended nil-nil, but much better was to come in the kit from George Graham's team over the next eight seasons. West Ham didn't return to Adidas until 2013, playing in an array of different brands in between, Scoreline, Buckter, Pony, Fila, Reebok, Umbro and Macron. Report it. Discriminatory chanting and antisocial behaviour is offensive to all fans and not tolerated. If you witness any form of offensive behaviour, you can report it to a steward or use our See Something, Say Something service by texting FOUL to 67777 together with a description of the incident. We are proud of the diverse nature of our team, our fans and wider community. Thank you for your support. Arsenal women break Conti Cup record. An impressive 6,743 fans made the trip to the city ground for the Continental Tyres League Cup final last week, setting a new record attendance in the competition. Joe Montemurro's side were unfortunately unable to secure the trophy for a record sixth time as they slipped to a heartbreaking 2-1 defeat at the last, but they delivered a spirited performance from start to finish and arguably deserved more for their stellar efforts. Our head coach said, I can't be any prouder because of the way we played and the amazing attitude and maturity that our team showed. But it's moments that define cup finals, and unfortunately, the moment at the end was the difference. I just want to thank each and every fan that made the trip to come and support us, and I'm sure you saw a team that upheld the values of Arsenal and played the way that we love to see. We've still got a lot to play for in the Champions League, Women's Super League and FA Cup, so we hope you all keep coming, all to support these amazing athletes. Travelling to Wolverhampton, Please note that when Arsenal play at Molyneux on Easter Monday, April the 13th, Wolverhampton train station will be shut. All travel coming into the city will be on bus replacement services. It is advised that Arsenal supporters travel to either Stafford or Birmingham and then continue their journey to Wolverhampton by bus. For more information, please go to www.nationalrail.co.uk. Ticket Info PSG Feminine We can now confirm that tickets for our UEFA Women's Champions League quarter-final clash with PSG are available to purchase. General sale tickets at Meadow Park are available to purchase in the North Bank, East Stand and West Stand. Ticket prices and match details are now as follows. Category A East Stand Unreserved seating Adults £15 Concessions £7.50. Category A West Stand Unreserved Seating Adults £15. Concessions £7.50. Category B North Bank Standing Adults £10. Concessions £5. Concession tickets available to under 16s, over 65s, and disabled fans, plus one free enabler ticket. Match details. UEFA Women's Champions League quarter-final first leg Arsenal vs Paris Saint-Germain Meadow Park Boreham Wood FC Wednesday March the 25th Kick-off 
1930. Gates open 1730. Player feature, Zaka. Granit Zaka is a man reborn during the Mikel Arteta reign. The Swiss midfielder has been a linchpin of the side ever since Arteta took over late in 2019, missing just one game. The only match the Spaniard has lost in the league, at home to Chelsea on December the 29th. Zaka has been on the pitch for every Premier League minute so far in 2020 and leads the way in terms of successful passes, 430, tackles 1, 8 and recoveries, 52. His experience is also proving valuable as we look to bounce back from our Europa League heartache in both the Premier League and the FA Cup. We caught up with Granite to ask him about his hopes for the rest of the season, but began by reflecting on a professional performance in the FA Cup on Monday. Granite, it could have been a very tricky game on Monday. How pleased were the team with the way we got the job done against Portsmouth? Yes, I have to say it was a really good atmosphere there. I enjoyed it. It was unbelievable in the stadium, and Portsmouth are a good team. In the first 20 minutes especially they gave us problems, but after that I think we controlled the game and did our job well. The FA Cup has thrown up many upsets over the last few years. Did the team speak about that beforehand and warn some of the newer players? Yes, and I had an experience of it in Germany as well. My first cup game after moving to Mönchengladbach was against Darmstadt, a fourth division team at the time, and we went out on penalties. So we all know that as soon as you aren't ready for a game, you can lose it. If you think you can win cup games with just 70 or 80%, then you have no chance. First, you have to be mentally ready to fight. The opposition will treat it like a final, and if you don't too, you will lose the game. We had a very young side out against Portsmouth, especially up front. How excited are you about this current group coming through? I've said before that this team has a big future with so many good young players. Monday was another chance for them to make the selection problems more difficult for the coach and they did really well again. We all know about these players here, but I think other people are starting to notice now. That should give them more confidence too. Look at Bukeo. He's so young, but a lot of people are speaking about him. When that happens, you have to be clever. Don't go crazy with it, and don't change. But he's a lovely guy. He has both feet on the ground, and what you really see with him is that he wants to work hard. He wants to listen. He wants to improve. He has a lot of quality. We can all see that. But now the most important thing for him is to keep the mentality that he has. I have known a lot of players who looked amazing at 17 or 18, but then a year later they've gone crazy with everything that's happened. But Bukeo is a good guy. He's living with his family who are right behind him, so I'm not worried about that. Did the Portsmouth result go some way to putting the Olympiakos disappointment behind us? Yeah, it was a really disappointing night against Olympiakos, because I thought we played well against them. That's football though. It can happen that in one second everything changes, one situation can kill you. The coach wanted a reaction from us on Monday, and I think our reaction was unbelievable. The fans were right behind them at Portsmouth. They had nothing to lose, so there was some pressure there, but we played a good game, showed our character, 
and that's what we need to keep doing for the rest of the season. Disappointment is part of the game. It's about how quickly you can stand up again. Give us an insight into what the dressing room was like after the Olympiakos game. A lot of the players couldn't talk, couldn't get up to take a shower for at least 45 minutes or an hour. Just sitting, thinking, running through the game again. But the coach spoke really well after the game. We analysed it and it's good to see exactly why you have lost a game. A lot of people like to think that even though you have lost, it was all positive. But something was not positive and he showed us that so we can understand and keep working on it. He told us to keep going and now concentrate on the FA Cup and the Premier League. Speaking of Mikel, he seems to have been good for you personally since he took over. Has having a fellow central midfielder for a boss helped? Of course that's nice as well, but he has given me a lot of confidence. I had a good meeting with him when he arrived, and I'm very happy. What I love a lot is to play, to enjoy being on the pitch and he gave me this joy. Are you feeling more important in the team again? I was always feeling good in the team. I've never had problems with my teammates or the club. What happened has happened. Everybody knows about that, and I'm happy and positive to be back. What have you made of West Ham so far this season? They have a lot of different systems and formations they can play. They can play with either four or five at the back, sometimes with five in midfield either one or two up front. They have very robust forwards with Antonio and Haller. We have to be ready to fight, as well as playing our game. If we can play our game how the coach wants us at home, we have to beat them. What do you make of the race for European places in the Premier League? It's very close. We're just five points behind fifth place. We're close to the top four. And I think it's realistic to look at third place as well. If we win our extra game, we are 10 points behind Leicester. They have to come here, and if we win that, it's 7 points. So then after that, things can change quickly. To be honest though, I'm not really focusing on the table at the moment. Right now it's about taking points and seeing what happens. The fans were happy last weekend to see Liverpool lose their unbeaten record. How big a part of the club's history is the Invincibles team of 2004? Does it still inspire the current side? Of course, if you play for Arsenal, you're very proud of the history. For that side to go unbeaten all season is unbelievable. You have to say what Liverpool has done so far this season is also incredible. But Watford showed if you play well and win the duels, you can beat them. They showed they're human. They make mistakes like everyone. Our job right now, though, is to look at ourselves, not other teams. Arsenal Academy Young Gun Trey Coyle Around the Academy Ballard is back Remember Marcus McGuane Young Gun Talking to Aidan Small Trey Coyle The Basics Born Camden December 17th 2001 Joined Arsenal, 8 years old. Height and weight, 5 foot 10, 80 kilograms. Position, number 10. School, St Aloysius, Camden. 
My academy journey started with Charlton when I was just seven years of age, and back then I think we could have had one of the best front lines in the country. It was me, Tyrese John-Jules and Callum Hudson-Odoi, so we used to score our fair share of goals. Our team was an absolute joke. I can only ever remember losing one game and we were all gutted about it. We used to be scoring all types of goals, but there's one that I remember really clearly from a tournament in Warsaw. It was our first ever big tournament, and at the time Tyrese was playing as right back. He was quality there and actually assisted me for the winning goal in the final, but in the end, all three of us only spent just over a year with Charlton. I actually found out about Arsenal's interest by overhearing a conversation between my parents They were discussing it together and I think at the time they didn't want to tell me because I'm a massive Arsenal fan. As soon as I heard, I put them under so much pressure, I was desperate to join. I think my parents thought I had a better chance at Charlton and that they'd been good for my development, but after a little while they came around to it. All of my family are gooners. I was so excited when I first heard about Charlton's interest, but to hear from Arsenal was incredible. Having grown up in Camden for 17 years, playing for Arsenal means so much to me. I've got so many good memories from my early days in the academy, but all my favourite moments have come from playing against Tottenham. I love playing against them, and every season it's the first fixture that I look for in the academy. I normally put in my best performances against them too. My other favourite moment from my time at Hale End was going away as a group to France for a tournament. It was our first ever tournament as a team. I remember at around 14, I started to receive a little bit of attention in the media, but I've got to be honest, at the time, I didn't really take notice. I was aware of it, but I tried to stay away from all of that, just focus on my own development. It was never a concern of mine, and to be fair, even when I first joined Arsenal, a lot of people in my area already knew who I was, so it wasn't all new to me. Ever since I've been at the club, I've normally always played as an age group above my actual age, and I actually think that makes me play better. I love the challenge, and I feel like I have a little more freedom when I'm playing. It really pushes me on and motivates me to prove myself. I've never felt the pressure. When I was an under-16, I came up full-time with the first years, and I was still only 15 at the time. I think that the under-18s team was definitely the best team I've played with so far in my career. We had Eddie Nketcher, Reese Nelson, Joe Willock, Josh De Silva and Danielle Mallon. So many players who have gone on to make good progress in their careers. We only just lost out on the league that season, but as for the team itself, everyone was a winner. Even though we had so many good players, no one was happy to go out there and just take the mick. Everyone had the right attitude and gave their all. If you tried to take the mick, they'd let you know, and I think that's been great for my development over the years. They really led by example. Trey Coyle, the lowdown. Earliest memory of football playing at Talaka Sports Centre with my dad and cousins. Who got me into football? My dad. First footballers I looked up to, Thierry Henry and Ronaldinho. Team I supported growing up, Arsenal. 
biggest influence, my dad. Best goal I've ever scored, versus Barcelona under 15s. Who I combine best with, Matthew Smith, Emile Smith Rowe, Tyrese John Jules. Best moment of my career so far, signing for Arsenal. Sing one song to save my life. Gunner, I don't know why. Best player I've ever faced. Santo Cazorla. Another sport I'm good at. Basketball. About me. Favourite footballer of all time. Ronaldinho. Favourite follow on Instagram. Desi Banks. Player I look up to the most, Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang. Best footballing attribute, creativity. If I wasn't a footballer, I would be a spy. Favourite training drill, possession or finishing. One thing I want to do in my career, win the World Cup. Ideal cheap meal, sweet and sour chicken. Best thing about Arsenal, putting on the kit every day. Around the academy, who will definitely make it? Arthur Oconquo. Best touch, Tyrese John Jules. Most committed, me. Would be best manager, Mark McGuinness. Strongest. Joseph Olowu Captain Material Zach Swanson Funniest Flo Balogun Who's got a hidden talent? Zach Medley has a trick with his ears. Rate yourself out of ten. Pace, eight. Dribbling, eight. Passing, eight. Shooting, eight. Defending, six. Physical, 8. Academy alumni, Marcus McGuane. Marcus McGuane has recently returned to England after a spell in Spain and has signed for Nottingham Forest in the Championship. The defensive midfielder was a product of our Hale End Academy and joined the club at under-6 level. McGuane then featured throughout our youth teams, captaining the under-18s and featured regularly for our under-23s. In September 2017, he was named on the bench for our Europa League match against BATE Borisov and was introduced during the second half to make his first professional appearance as we won 4-2. In January 2018, he signed for Barcelona and was moved to their B team, who play in the second tier of Spanish football. In March of the same year, McGuane played for the first team in the Supercopa de Catalunya final when coming on as 77th-minute substitute for Alex Vidal, and by doing so, he became the first Englishman to represent the Catalan Giants in 29 years since Gary Lineker. McGuane initially started the 2019-20 season by signing on a season-long loan with Erster Divisi side Telstar. The midfielder scored his first goal for the club in a 4-1 victory against Helmand Sport 
and went on to make 16 appearances in all competitions. The England Under-19 International then returned to English football in late February, when signing a two-and-a-half-year deal with Forrest. He's initially joined their Under-23 squad for the remainder of the season. Academy News Ballard Steps Up Daniel Ballard stepped up his process of recovering from a serious knee injury by training alongside the first team and playing the second half of Tuesday night's game against Monaco in the Premier League International Trophy quarter-final. The defender initially moved to Swindon Town on loan at the start of the 2019-20 season and featured three times in all competitions for the Robins. The 20-year-old scored his first goal for the League Two club before picking up a knee injury that ruled him out for the majority of the season. As a result, he returned to North London to start his rehabilitation process and was invited to take part in first-team training recently, where he featured for the whole session prior to the crucial Monaco minute. Welcome back, Dan. Smith Rowe stars Emile Smith Rowe has now made nine appearances on loan for Huddersfield Town, starting their last two matches, a 2-1 win over Bristol City and a 4-0 victory over Charlton. Emile's contribution to the Bristol game was crucial, assisting both goals. His first came when he received the ball on the halfway line, drove to the edge of the box and teed up ex-gunner Chris Willock, who cut inside and curled an unstoppable shot into the top corner. He then drew a foul to win a penalty during the second half after playing a neat 1-2 on the edge of the area. Carlin Grant stepped up and gave the Terriers a two-goal lead. Our youngster scored his first goal for Huddersfield during their 3-2 defeat away to Fulham three weeks previously. Keep up the good work, Emil. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Bandiera makes debut. 15-year-old midfielder Mauro Bandiera made his debut for our under-18s in their 5-2 defeat to Leicester City. Bandera has featured predominantly for our schoolboys this season, but was introduced from the bench with 30 minutes remaining, replacing highly rated Charlie Patino. 
Despite taking the lead through Catalin Serjan and equalising through Zayn Monlui, the Foxes proved too strong for Ken Gillard's side as we fell to defeat. Congratulations, Mauro, and good luck with the rest of the season. Arsenal Academy reports. Premier League International Cup, Tuesday, March the 3rd at Meadow Park. Arsenal under-23s, four. Monaco under-23s, three. Arsenal goals by Medley, 17 minutes, 24 minutes. Balogun, 68 minutes. And a penalty at 90 minutes. Monaco Storers, Cilia, 20 minutes. Millot, 29 minutes. And Mayes at 50 minutes. We progress into the semi-finals. Florin Balogun scored a last gasp winner to book our place in the semi-final in the Premier League International Cup after an enthralling game against Monaco at Meadow Park. The match saw seven goals, a red card and an injury time winner as we progressed into the last four. After a closely contested opening 15 minutes, the game sprang into life with four goals in ten first half minutes. The first came as we took the lead when Jamia fumbled Matt Smith's whip across Zach Medley's. He pounced to poke the ball into the empty net. Monaco immediately hit back two minutes later when they drilled across the post on the face of goal and neatly controlled, who fired past Carl from close range. Medley then netted his second goal of the evening shortly after he lost his marker to power home a header after Smith had delivered another inviting three kick into the box. Four minutes later, the visitors equalised to a second time when Saylor drove home the wing and teed up Enzo Millot, who shot past Hein from inside the area. Monaco started the second half strongly and took the lead five minutes after the restart when Sealer slid past into Owen Mays, who controlled well and struck an effort past, even past the crossbar. We grew into the second half and we were awarded a penalty in the 66th minute when Sam Greenwood was brought down inside the area. Balogun stepped up and slammed the effort down the middle to draw us level. With five minutes remaining, Monaco were reduced to ten men after Millet head-butted Harry Clark off the ball. And we took advantage deep into injury time when Balogun was played behind the defence and chipped home to complete the grandstand finish. Premier League 2 Friday, February the 28th at the Emirates Stadium. Arsenal under-23s, two. Manchester City under-23s, four. Arsenal goals are by Balogun, two minutes and 63 minutes. Manchester City goals, Benabe, 35 minutes, 88 minutes. Harwood Bellis, 80 minutes. And Barath, 86 minutes. Balogun scored twice as we slipped into a late defeat to a Manchester City side containing Leroy Sane at the Emirates Stadium. Pablo Maria, Rob Holding, Reese Nelson and Ainsley Maitland-Niles all played 45 minutes. As they continued to build match sharpness, we started strongly. We took the lead inside two minutes when Trey Coy pounced on a weak goal from Gavin Bunsening to tee up Balogun who fired into the roof of the net. The visitors grew into the match and almost equalised when Jaden Brath fired low towards goal, but Matt Macy produced a fine reaction save to deny him. We were well on top and we should have doubled our lead midway through the first half when Coyle produced a neat back heel to play Ben Cotterall into the box. 
but our midfielder couldn't hit the target. But 10 minutes before the break, the visitors levelled against the run of play when Adrian Bembe powered a low effort against the post and passed Macy from 20 yards. Chances were few and far between in the opening stage of the second half and her first fell to Balogun, who turned well inside the box to lose his marker, but couldn't distract his effort on target. Balogun was causing City problems and he grabbed the second of the evening shortly after when he latched onto a through ball, drove into the box and slotted past Bezen. But on 80 minutes, City levelled once more when Macy could only parry Braff's delivery into the path of Taylor Harwood-Bellis, who trapped into the empty net. And in the closing stages of the match, the visitors took the lead when Baraf fired a low shot past Macy into the near post. On the stroke of full time, Bembe scored his second and the visitors' fourth when he was quick to react inside the box and poke home a cutback from close range. Premier League under-18s South, Saturday, February the 29th. The Amex Elite Performance Centre. Brighton and Hove Albion, under-18s 2. Arsenal, under-18s 3. Brighton and Hove Albion's scorers, Vioki, 52 minutes. Packham, 73 minutes. Arsenal, under-18s scorers, Seran, 12 minutes, 23 minutes. And Mon Luis, 26 minutes. Catelyn Saran scored twice as we recorded our fourth league win of the season on Saturday against Brighton. We started strongly and took the lead in the 12th minute after Muru Bendelin skipped past the challenge and won a free kick to the edge of the area. Saran then kicked up and whipped an inch-perfect effort over the wall into the back of the net. The blustery conditions were forcing Brighton to play the ball out of defence. We capitalised by winning back possession in the final third. Before Luke Plange teed up Saran, who fired his second goal of the afternoon into the top corner from inside the box. Midway through the first half, we extended our lead further when a whipped corner from the right was allowed to bounce inside the box before Zane reacted quickly to curl a half volley into the top corner. The second half, it was our turn to play against the wind and the host took advantage while Stefan Gugi was played behind our defence and slotted the effort past Garik seven minutes after the restart. The hosts were buoyed by their early goal and almost grabbed a second shortly after when the ball slid across the box, met by Mark Leonard, who saw his goal-bound strike expertly blocked by Mon Luis. With 15 minutes remaining, the Seagulls did pull another goal back when an inviting free kick delivered into the box found Sam Packham, who was able to poke the ball past Grakik from close range. Despite the late push for equalising goal from the hosts, we were able to hold on for the win. At full time, the under-18 coach Ken Gillard said, I was really pleased with the performance. It was terrible conditions again, and it's been the same the last four weeks. I thought the first half we had the wind with us. I saw some really good quality and the boys scored three fantastic goals. Captain again has come into form for the right moment. He scored a well-taken free kick and scored a goal similar to that last week of Zane's. He has scored a fantastic goal and he's taken from his left foot from the corner that's dropped to him. I'm so very, very pleased with that. Club culture. News from Arsenal's official supporters clubs. Arsenal West Midlands. VIP day out. 30 members of the Arsenal West Midlands supporters club and one small bear 
were lucky enough to be invited to meet and greet the team coach at the Everton match. Excited children and adults alike waited outside the players' entrance. We were kept entertained by Gunnosaurus, who high-fived us and posed for selfies. A roar went up as the team coach arrived, and as each player got off the coach, their name was shouted loudly. What a thrill to see the team up close and personal. We then gathered inside for a group photo underneath the famous Arsenal crest. Put Gunnosaurus down, Ricky. After a thrilling match, we were allowed pitch side to await an appearance by one of the players, with the bonus of being able to watch some of the team on the pitch playing five-a-side. None other than the amazing Bukio Osaka then came out to greet us, happily signing autographs and posing for selfies. We were so lucky to meet this talented young player. Many thanks to Arsenal's Mark and our own Liz, Ricky and Garth for their hard work in organising an amazing day. It'll be remembered for a long, long time. Liz Prouse, Secretary, Arsenal WM. Arsenal Germany at the Emirates. Unfortunately, the Newcastle match was rescheduled, so only around 20 German Gunners came to support the team on a stormy and wet Sunday afternoon. After pre-match drinks, we warmly welcomed the players inside the stadium. It was great to see our young guns get to know Gunnosaurus, a real highlight for the kids. Arsenal provided us with tickets for Block 24, Clock and Lower Tier. Great experience for some of our members being that close to the pitch and players this time. The match was fantastic as well. I haven't seen a better second half for ages with Arsenal getting four goals. After the match we enjoyed a get-together with compatriot Bernd Leno who took the time for selfies, videos, signing shirts and a group picture. He was in really good spirits, a nice and friendly guy. Speaking in his native language with us might have helped. Lastly, I would like to thank Arsenal and particular our SLO, Mark Brindle, for making this special day happen. Stefan Kreisel, Secretary, Arsenal, Germany. UEFA Europa League, round of 32, second leg, 8pm, Thursday, February 27th, Emirates Stadium. Arsenal 1, Olympiakos 2. After extra time, Arsenal scorers, Aubameyang, 113th minute. Olympiakos scorers, Cisse, 53rd minute. El Arabi, 119th minute. 2-2 on aggregate, Olympiakos win on away goal. Arsenal team, 1. Leno, 2. Bellerin, substitute 84th minute, 20. Mustafi, substitute 103 minute, 23. David Luiz, 77. Saka, 8. Ceballos, substitute 72 minute, 34. Saka, 19. Pepe, 10. Ozil, 9. Lacazette, substitute 105 minute, 14. Aubameyang Substitutes Martinez Socrates 103 Torreira 72 Maitland-Niles Willock 84 Guendouzi Martinelli 105 Olympiakos 1. Dessar 14. El Abdelayu 
yellow card. 14. Bar. 66. Cisse. 21. Tomiskas. Substitute 114. 5. Bukalakis. 4. Camera. Yellow card. 8. Torres. Substitute 117. 97. Ranjelovic. Substitute 77th minute. 11. El Arabi. 28. Valbueno. Substitute 86th minute. Substitutes. Masuras. 77th minute. Lovera. 114th. Papadopoulos, 117. Torosidis, Karagiris, Bulari, Gaspar, 86th minute. First half, bringing an excellent 1-0 first leg league back from Athens, we went into the return leg of this round of 32 match as favourites and seemed content to hold Olympiakos at arm's reach in the opening half. In truth, neither team really got going in the first 45 minutes though and there was a lack of quality from both sides. Second half. The Greek struck early in the second half to inject some urgency into our play. Papa Abu Sise was unmarked as he headed home from a corner to level the score on aggregate. We started to create more but were unable to find the breakthrough. Extra time. We continued to pile on the pressure in the extra half hour and looked to have won it when Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang scored a stunning bicycle kick late on but Youssef El Arabi had the last word, stabbing home in the final minute. Aubameyang nearly saved us in injury time, but fired just wide from close range. Match stats. Total shots. Arsenal 19, Olympiakos 12. Shots on target. Arsenal 4, Olympiakos 4. Corners. Arsenal 9, Olympiakos 7. Offsides. Arsenal 1, Olympiakos 4. Foul, Arsenal 9, Olympiakos 8. Possession, Arsenal 60%, Olympiakos 40%. 35 years in the community. With March 21st fast approaching, we are again celebrating World Down Syndrome Day. World Down Syndrome Day Over the last decade, we have worked closely with North London United to run weekly sessions for local young people with Down Syndrome and it has grown to be included as a big part of our weekly provision. From representing the club in national tournaments, proudly standing pitch side, filming incredible online features and taking part in work with Adidas, the group have done us all proud this year. The session offers a supportive and productive environment for young people to have fun as well as playing football and also creates a space for families to meet, socialise and discuss opportunities. Not only is it a huge hit with our staff, many players have joined us to have a great time with Leah Williamson, Peter Cech and Carl Jenkinson all taking time out last year to pop in on us. Recently, David Luiz and Lucas Torreira helped with some amazing kit designs at Adidas. A quote from Luke Howard, an Arsenal in the Community Disability Officer. The sessions are always a fun and uplifting way to finish any Monday 
and it's something we, as staff, look forward to every single week. We are closing in on 10 years of our partnership with North London United, who are a local, independently run charity, and year on year it feels like the sessions grow stronger. We are incredibly lucky to have such a driven local partner and experts, and it's essential we keep looking at how we can enrich their offer and help the growth. Looking back every 12 months at the brilliant people, amazing opportunities and where the sessions have reached is always jaw-dropping and I'm sure I'll be saying the same in another 12 months. For more information on our disability programmes, email Luke Howard, lhoward at arsenal.co.uk. Match Report, Portsmouth, the Emirates FA Cup, fifth round, 7.45pm, Monday, March the 2nd, at Fratton Park. Portsmouth the nil, Arsenal 2. Away fans, 2,206. The first half, roared on by a boisterous home crowd, Portsmouth caused the Gunners some concerns in the first half, targeting the right side of our defence, in truth, Emi Martez had little to do with the abundant Palomare and the impressive David Luiz looking composed at the back. Lucas Torreira was stretched off early, but we recovered to take the lead deep into injury time. The goal came with a centre-forwards finish with a centre-back playing at right-back. Our Greek defender Socrates was the goal-scorer, following in Reese Nelson's whipped cross on the run after Danny Sabalos had fed Nelson to the right. The second half. We gave ourselves a cushion early in the second half. Nelson was again the provider, bursting down the right to cross for Eddie, who reacted in a flash to find the roof of the net after his first attempt to finish was thwarted. We looked comfortable after Niketa's goal, but could have added more through Nelson and Saka, but a 2-0 win is enough to send us to the quarter-finals. The Arsenal Foundation. My story. The work of the Arsenal Foundation and the partners and initiatives it supports have touched the lives of a great number of people in a variety of ways. The Arsenal Foundation has helped to fund Food Cycle, a charity that serves meals created from surplus food to hungry and lonely people around England. Volunteer Judy Guno Grant, 56, from North London, tells us how it works. I work as a data analyst tutor in the City of London. You give me data, I want to analyse it, which makes football, and specifically Arsenal, a perfect fit for me. Volunteering is something I enjoy. I've volunteered at the Copenhagen Youth Project, which involved cooking classes with children, and at St Joseph's Hospice in Hackney. I love food, so food cycle is ideal for me. I really feel the ethos of not wasting food and sharing it together is very close to my heart. I love the idea that the community supplies the food for the community. It is 100% collaborative. I started volunteering at Food Cycle in Hackney and was pleased to find that many of the Hackney crew come along to the Islington Food Cycle too. 
we've been nourishing communities with surplus food for 10 years, during which time we've served more than a million meals. My role is as host, so I will welcome you in, find you a seat and serve you a delicious, nutritious three-course meal. I want you to feel as if you've come into a cafe, so my focus is to make you feel welcome and make sure you have everything you need. I'll offer you a goodie bag of surplus food to take away with you, filled with food donations from local supermarkets and shops. Food Cycle was founded in 2009 as a student-led initiative, initially with two projects in London. We've since grown to 39 projects across England, clustered in areas of social deprivation, and we open our doors to 1,500 guests every week. Life is becoming increasingly difficult for vulnerable people in Britain. More people are accessing emergency food services than ever before. Growing numbers are also experiencing loneliness and mental health problems. That's why we must keep growing, building communities and serving more meals to people who need them. The funding we received from the Arsenal Foundation has helped us keep our Hackney Community Meal running. Held at the new Kingshold Community Centre, it serves on average 35 hungry and lonely people every Thursday lunchtime. Football clubs are a massive part of the community, and as a community we feel we are part of the club. Arsenal contributing to charities like Food Cycle gives the community an understanding that the club does actually care about local people. For more info, visit foodcycle.org.uk Arsenal Family At Home with Pablo Mari Players tell us how their family life influenced their football careers. Tell us about your family growing up. Well, there's my mum, my dad and my sister, so there are four of us. We've always been a very tight family and football has always been a really important part of that. Ever since I was young, they helped me in any way they could to enable me to do well in football. They take me to training, and when my parents were working, the other members of my family would help out by taking me to training. All the family would come to see me play in matches, and now that I live abroad, they sign up to different channels so they can watch me play. The family is really invested in family. Where did you grow up? We're from Valencia. We live in a small town called Almusafes. I started in the youth teams at Valencia and then Levante before I embarked on my professional career with Mallorca. Tell us about the house you grew up in. It was a normal family home. We were a happy, humble, hard-working family. We were really tight on both my mum's side and my dad's side. We'd always get together to have dinner and at Christmas and on birthdays. We had a really humble, tight family. We were very happy. Does your family still live in the same house? Yes, they're still there in Valencia. Do you remember any family holidays in particular? We always used to go on holiday as a family, and they were always happy and fun. We never had any problems. We're still very tight and will be forever. It was a really happy childhood. The beach was about 15 minutes away. So in the summer we used to go every day or we'd have family round to eat together at home. We'd spend the afternoon playing at home with my cousin. It was a normal life. 
Did you have any pets? Yeah, we'd always have one dog or another at home. When I was young, I'd find dogs on the street and bring them home. The first one was called Thor. Then we had a little female dog that I called Nala. When I was seven, I bought myself a dog and called that one Thor too, because the first one got lost. What kind of music did you associate with family life? Regular music that would have been popular at the time. Pop, a bit of rock, though not too much. Soft rock. It was mainly standard Spanish pop music. Is there a movie you remember from your childhood? One film my parents always liked was The Last of the Mohicans. We would always watch it on a Sunday afternoon. My dad absolutely loved it, and we must have seen it like 20 times. Other than football, was the family interested in any other sports? Not really, because I was the only one who really got anywhere with sports. So ever since I was young, the whole family was really focused on football, keeping tabs on where I was and things. I have two cousins that play football now, so that means my family has more people to follow, but it was basically all me until they came along. Was there anything you would do with all of your family? The main thing we did was simply spend time together as a family. That said, I do have a special bond with my dad because the two of us both love fishing. We love it. My dad has been going off fishing for as long as I can remember. We went in the sea and in the river near Valencia. My dad used to wake me up at 5am when I was to go fishing. I loved it. We would eat fish afterwards. I'm not the kind of guy who kills for fun. We would catch mainly bream, sea bass, sometimes tuna when you go out on the boat, cuttlefish, octopus, there's a lot. Was seafood a big part of your diet growing up then? Yeah, and paella. In Valencia, paella is the classic thing you eat on a Sunday when the family gets together. The ingredients of a perfect Valencia paella are a family secret. Where would you go out to eat as a family? In the villages, the standard thing is to have dinner at the home of your relatives. You get together as a family. One day in one house, another day in a different house. Most of the time we got together at my grandmother's house. That's kind of the natural place for everyone to come together. That would be where we went for dinner, when we were all getting together. It was great for my grandmother, because she loved having the whole family together. Are there any games you associate with family life? Yeah, we used to play cards, dominoes, parches. The whole family spent many Sunday afternoons playing parches for hours after we'd had our paella. What was the family car? We had a red Fiat Panda. That was a long time ago. I would have been seven or eight. I remember that car well. We had it for about eight or nine years. Then we bought a Seat Cordoba. That lasted for 14 years and was the first car I had when I turned 18 and got my license. What was the most difficult situation your family went through? I think the hardest time was when I had some injury problems when I was about 10 or 12. One summer I grew 10 or 12 centimetres. It was incredible. The bones in my hips grew so quickly that they weren't really bone. They were just cartilage. So every time I tried to play football, I'd get injured. The cartilage was breaking up and I could barely move my leg. That happened three or four times in the space of a year and a half. It never cleared up. I got so tired of it after the third or fourth time 
but I told my dad that if I got injured again, I would give up football. I couldn't do it anymore. I wanted to play, but I hadn't been able to in a year and a half. But thankfully, it didn't happen again. It never gave me any trouble after that. My growth started to stabilise, and my bones started to harden, so it wasn't soft cartilage anymore. Growing 10 or 12 centimetres in a year was mad. Was there a piece of advice that has stuck with you? My parents always taught me the importance of being a good professional. They taught me to keep my head screwed on and simply to focus on what I could do in the moment. They taught me to be 100% focused on my day-to-day business and to work hard. I think that's one of the reasons I'm where I am now. What are your first memories of playing football with your family? I think one of the best things that happened when I was young was going from my local team to play for Valencia after no more than about six months. The move to Valencia, being there, playing well, I think my family were really happy about that. They were delighted that I'd come from a tiny village and gone to play in the big city. Does everyone in your family love football? They've warmed to it. At the start they didn't really understand football, talk about it or like it. We'd watch a few League and Champions League games, but not all the time. They surprise me now because they watch every game in the top two Spanish leagues every weekend. It's like I'm not even watching that much. They watch it all. Did you ever get told off for playing too much football? Yeah, they were always giving me advice. They would tell me I needed to look after myself and that I could have a normal life and play in the street with my friends because I needed to make sure I didn't get injured or hurt myself. When I was playing for the youth teams at big clubs, my parents always taught me to be professional, from a very young age. It's difficult to understand that when you're a kid, you don't understand why you can't go and play with your friends in the park. That was a bit annoying, but if you want to become someone, you have to understand that. Who do your family support? Valencia. The majority support Valencia. I've never really had a favourite team. I like football in general. Which members of your family used to come to watch you play when you were younger? My grandfather always used to come to see me play with my grandmother. My parents, my aunties and uncles, there would always be about four of them who would come to my games. My parents were always there every weekend, wherever I was playing, come rain or snow. My parents were always there. But it was really difficult in Brazil. It's an 11-hour flight and my family doesn't really like flying. It was tough, so we didn't see each other that much, but not because we didn't want to. The distance was just too long. Has there been a game that's been special for your family? There were things like my debut for Mallorca in the top division when I was 17. I think that was a big thing for the family. I've had some great moments in my career as a player. Promotions, playoffs. I won two titles in Brazil, which was amazing. Playing at the Maracana. I've had some great moments in every year of my career, and I'm fond of many of them. Right now, I think the ultimate was winning the Copa Libertadores. How has being a footballer allowed you to help your family? I've always tried to help them in any way I can. I've always tried to make them a part of what I've achieved, making sure they were there for important games. They made a lot of sacrifices for me when I was younger, so now that I'm in a good place, I want them to experience that too, along with my wife and son. At home with Retro. 
swings and read about. Arsenal striker John Radford relaxes in the garden with his wife Engel and son Ian, clutching a badminton racket. One of the Gunners' great strikers, Raddy scored 149 goals in 482 games for the club before leaving for today's visitors West Ham in 1976 after 12 years at Highbury. Arsenal family, Susan Ship. Arsenal life. 44 staff members have worked for the club for over 20 years. This season we hear their stories of club loyalty. Susan Ship, position, Academy Secretary, Colney. Joined Arsenal, October 6, 1996. Favourite moment. FA Youth Cup win. The Invincible season. 1998 double buses. Academy recognition of my 20 years. Favourite players. Patrick Vieira and obviously any Academy graduate. Football has always been a part of my life. Growing up in Brighton, I enjoyed many freezing Sunday mornings watching my brother play. We were Brighton fans but when my dad became a director at Lewis FC, having played for them, my mum, dad, brother and me did loads of stuff there. So I was brought up around football, and when I finished university, I decided I wanted to work in football somehow. I had been pretty ill at the time, and didn't really know what I wanted to do, and I recalled a conversation I had a couple of years before, when somebody suggested a career in football. Initially I thought it sounded silly, but then I thought, why not? So I just sent off my CV to loads of places and hoped for the best. In the meantime, I'd volunteered for the FA at Euro 96, which helped my CV. From when I sent out my first CV to 15 clubs to when Arsenal offered me the job was about 18 months. There are thousands of jobs in football now, but back then even the big clubs only employed a few dozen full-time staff I was interviewed by Ken Fryer and Liam Brady in the boardroom at Highbury. One of the questions was to illustrate how I could work well individually and as part of a team. So I said, I can answer that by telling you what an opposition fan once said to me at Lewis FC. I ain't being funny love, but I've been here three and a half hours and in that time you've made me one cup of tea, pulled me a pint, served me a burger and now you're flogging me a raffle ticket. I think I've done the Arsenal version of that ever since. My brother Gary was especially delighted when I got the job. He's a big Arsenal fan. I started working at Arsenal several days after Arsene Wenger joined. Mine was a new position, working with youth development as it was then, broadly to take care of the admin side of the department. I was based at Highbury to start with. I remember walking into the marble halls on my first day thinking, Wow, this will be great for the next few years, and here I still am, 23 and a half years later. I moved to Colney 19 years ago, and have been based there ever since. The job has covered everything really, from match tickets, travelling arrangements, fixtures, scholarship contracts, player registrations, working with the scouts. You name it. You've got to remember, it was very different back then. We didn't have as many staff or teams as we do now and some of the work I did at the start is now covered by someone else in the department or elsewhere in the club. Mind you, I'm still busy. Over the years, the whole club has grown massively, and especially the youth department and academy. The number of players we have here has grown, so everything has increased. More teams, more staff, more games, everything. 
For the first 19 years or so, I worked with Liam, and we obviously had a close working relationship. We would fall out every so often, mind, but we always got over it. I enjoyed working with him, as I did with David Court and Roy Massey. The three of them had a great influence on what the Academy is today. And the players. So many have come through the system during my time here. So many great characters and lovely lads. It makes me feel old to say, for example, that I knew Ashley Cole when he was 15, Jack Wilshire when he was 8, and David Bentley when he was 11. Others like Adam Birchall, Greg Lincoln, Ryan Gary, and Julian Gray now work with us in the Academy, and that's really nice. We have 10 to 15 new scholars every year, and I suppose it's a bit like being a teacher, getting to know them all each year. The fact that I've been able to say for 99.9% .9 of the time, ah, he's a nice lad, said it all about what a great bunch we've always had. Over the years, they've come from all over the country, all over the world, really. Europe, Brazil, USA, wherever. One thing I think they all know from me is that I will treat each of them equally. It's a bit different now because we have player liaison, etc. But a few years ago, I'd regularly have players ask for help with all sorts of stuff, because you've got to remember they're young lads, often living away from home for the first time. How would anyone deal with that at 16? For example, I'd hear, Sue, I need to change bank account. How do I do it? Or, Sue, can you help me organise my flights home for Christmas? So many different things. But I've loved it, and it's the players who make it special. Whenever I bump into players that have come through the system here, they seem pleased to see me, so I guess that's a good sign. Football at youth level has evolved so much over the years too, with psychology, support staff, protection, education as well. It's much better now in many respects, and it's kept the job so interesting. Every day is different, and I take pride in the achievements we've had as a department. You just have to look at the first team dressing room at the moment to see how many of our players have come through. It's really wonderful, and I have to confess I feel really proud of them when I see them playing. Also players who have moved away to other clubs like Alex Iwobi, Benik Afubi, Josh Da Silva and so on. They pop up at all sorts of clubs. It's really nice when I see names I remember from the past. There have been so many highlights. For me, obviously the FA Youth Cup win and also in 1998 when the first team won the double. We also had a bus on the trophy parade for the women's and youth team. I was on the youth team bus. That was amazing. Working with all the great lads that have come through the academy and the staff as well has made it really special. I'm the longest serving member of my department nowadays, but I really count myself so lucky to have had so many great colleagues over the year. Too many to name, but it's been a pleasure, and it still is. My Arsenal We hear about your heroes, hangouts and heart-stopping moments. Email program at arsenal.co.uk for your My Arsenal questionnaire. John Clune, age 51, season ticket holder from Bishop's Stortford. Why are you an Arsenal fan? I grew up in the Midlands, but Dad was Arsenal, so I never considered another team. 
I moved to London, which was great. Arsenal was as much about family as it was the football. Your first Arsenal game? Versus Coventry City, November 27th, 1976. We won 2-1. I was seven. We were in the home end and pretended we weren't happy when Frank Stapleton and Malcolm McDonald scored. I was hooked for life. Favourite Arsenal game? Liverpool versus Arsenal, May 26th, 1989. I still get goosebumps. Match day routine? Be late, apologise to mate in old triangle, have an extra pint and be a bit late to the ground. Give the Salvation Army a pound or so, programme seller to the left of gate E. Favourite place to eat before a game? The Korean steak sandwiches opposite the shop on Drayton Park. Awesome. Feeling when you approach the ground. Nervous, but smiling. I love the familiarity of it all. Takes me back to the first pilgrimage, age seven. A home from home, surrounded by your own. Best place to watch games. I'm in block 102 and I love being top tier behind the goal in the North Bank. You see how the teams are organised. Furthest you travel to watch us. AC Milan, March 4th, 2008. 2-0 win in the San Siro. Only time I've travelled in Europe. Love to do it again. Maybe when the children have flown the roost. Favourite away ground and why? Villa Park. At one time I'd been there more times than Highbury, including the long set of replays against Liverpool in 1980. What do you wear to games? My scarf replaced the Terry Neal's red and white army version and is 25 years old. Double-sided with yellow one side and red the other. I wear red socks my dad gave me before he died. He's always with me at games. Favourite ever Arsenal shirt? The Umbro shirt from 1978. If kits depart too much from that, it's not an Arsenal kit for me. All-time favourite player? Loved Liam Brady. We all did. Wrighty's a legend. Love that guy. But Thierry Henry was the best player we ever had. Best goal you've ever seen live? Jack Wilshere versus Norwich City, 2013. Have you ever met any players? If I see them, I don't say hello. I prefer my heroes on the football field or on the TV. I leave them in peace. Which current player would you most like to go for dinner with? I'd prefer dinner with Mikel Arteta. I'm fascinated with what he's doing. You can erase one moment from history. Bergkamp missing that penalty in the cup final versus Man United. And the Giggs goal too, please. You can be at any match in history. Anfield 89. Visitors, West Ham United. Words by Mike Hammond. West Ham United's 23rd season in the Premier League is to prove him one of their toughest. Currently embroiled in what appears to be a six-club battle to avoid relegation, the Hammers swapped managers at the end of December, replacing Manuel Pellegrini with a man who stilled them safely two seasons ago. David Moyes, 
And although they recorded a much-needed victory last weekend, 3-1 at home to Southampton to move out of the drop zone, that was only the second league win in nine under the Scotsman. And they remain level on points with 18th place to Bournemouth. There was no FA Cup action for West Ham last week. They were knocked out in round four after losing 1-0 at home to West Brom. So they should have been refreshed for today's clash, given that five days before the win against Southampton, they gave an excellent account of themselves against Liverpool at Anfield, losing 3-2, after being 2-1 up with a quarter of the contest remaining. Indeed, the Hammers have scored eight goals in their last four games, although they have not kept a clean sheet since their 4-0 win at home against Bournemouth on New Year's Day, Moyes' first game back. Since returning to the Premier League in 2012, after just one season in the Championship, the East Londoners have never finished higher than 7th or lower than 13th. It was their general positivity at the start of this campaign that they would improve on last season's final placing of 10th. That was strengthened by a good start on the opening day, 5-0 home defeat by Man City, the only loss they have suffered in their opening seven fixtures, three of which they had won, including 2-0 at home to Manchester United. It was not a good autumn for the club, however, especially at the London Stadium where the Hammers suffered five defeats and one draw in their six league encounters during October, November and December, including 3-1 against Arsenal. The last defeat on that sorry sequence, 2-1 against Leicester on December 29th, proved to be Pellegrini's final game in charge. The Chilean being dismissed and that very evening, and Moyes reappointed the following day. Whilst it was home form that was ultimately cost Pellegrini his job, the team have struggled on the road under his successor. Their four away fixtures in 2020, having yielded no points with Moyes overseeing defeats at Sheffield United 1-0, Leicester 4-1, Manchester City 2-0 and Liverpool with a Boxing Day defeat at Crystal Palace 2-1 added to the mix. That makes it five Premier League away defeats on the trot a run they will be eager to end here at the Emirates this afternoon. Head-to-head, last season's goals from Nacho Monreal, Danny Welbeck and Issa Diop. Own goal saw us win 3-1 at the Emirates Stadium. In the reverse fixture this season, we came from a goal down to win by the same scoreline. West Ham had three integral players of the World Cup winning squad of 1966, playing for them at the time, Captain Bobby Moore, Martin Peters, and hat-trick hero in the final, Jeff Hurst, were all hammers while lifting the Jules Romay trophy. All three are cast in a bronze sculpture, along with Way Wilson, which remains at the site of the bowling ground at the Hammers' old home. Second best. The Irons were the last team from outside the top tier of English football to win the FA Cup. In the final in 1980, Arsenal beat West Ham 1-0, thanks to a Trevor Booking header inside 13. FA Cup debut. West Ham competed in the first FA Cup held at Wembley. In the 1923 final, they put two past Bolt Wanderers to lift the historic trophy. Full English. West Ham were the last team to win the FA Cup with an all-English 11. They beat Fulham 2-0 in the 1975 final. Totty. West Ham's class of 1965 won Team of the Year at the BBC Sports Personality of the Year Awards. The team included Bobby Moore, Martin Peters, Jeff Hurst and Harry Redknapp. Thames Ironworks. 
The club was originally founded in 1885 as Thames Ironworks. After the club folded in June 1900, they were re-established as West Ham United in July of the same. Top two. The Irons are one of the eight clubs to have never fallen below the second tier of English football with Arsenal, Everton, Newcastle, Liverpool, Chelsea, Man United and Spurs. Scouting report by Michael Cox. David Moyes has chopped and changed in terms of both system and personnel since taking charge for the second time at Christmas, but last week's 3-1 victory over Southampton means he's unlikely to deviate from that approach that bought the much-needed victory. Moyes had previously seemed unsure of whether to use the 4-2-3-1 or a five-man defence, either in a 5-4-1 or a 5-3-2 system. In fairness, West Ham's recent run of fixtures has been very testing. They face Leicester, Manchester City and Liverpool twice within the space of five matches and therefore not necessarily reflective of this approach during these upcoming games. The approach against Southampton was 4-2-3-1, which will look like a 4-4-1-1 for long periods here. Sebastian Heller will lead the line. He's a good all-rounder, former capable of running in from behind, holding up the ball and getting on the end of the crosses. His form has been inconsistent this season, and his tally of seven league goals is probably slightly disappointing. But on his day, Heller can work both centre-backs and create opportunities for on-rushing midfielders. And Moyes has plenty of those players to choose from. Last weekend, dead ball specialist Robert Snodgrass' creativity. We had Brazilian Felipe Anderson and silky Argentine Manuel Lazzini only made the bench. Instead, Moyes went for a more hard-hitting working trio. The central role was played by Pablo Famlos, who hasn't quite settled in at West Ham, but is capable of dropping deep to pull the springs and then step forward to play the killer pass. He assisted two goals last weekend for wingers Antonio and Bowen. Antonio has generally been fielded on the left with great effect recently. An unusual mixture of sheer speed and arterial power, he provides a great counter-attacking threat. Bowen, a genuine arrival from Hull, Will look to cut inside and provide a school gasking threat to the right. He managed 16 championship goals from the first half of the season. Moyes' main task upon his appointment was improving the side's defensive shape. The statistics suggest that he's found a problematic. West Ham haven't kept a clean sheet since Moyes' first game on New Year's Day, but the quality of opposition has made life difficult in this respect. One issue, though, that is a midfield duo of Declan Rice and Mark Noble have been too easy to play through. They often struggle to cover the width of the pitch and quick opponents can pass them by. There's been uncertainty at fullback on the right youngster, Jeremy, who's replaced veteran Pablo, whilst on the left, Arskamusic's mixed form has meant Aaron Creswell has come back into the side. Centre-backs Isa, Joyup and Angelo look to more, be more comfortable under Moyes than Pellegrini, whose preference for a higher defence line caused problems, but perhaps the biggest issue this season has been in goal. Lucas Fabianski was arguably the division's best goalkeeper last season, but fitness concerns have hampered him this season. Teams for Arsenal, head coach Mikel Arteta, 
Red shirts with white sleeves, white shorts and white socks. 1. Bernd Leno, goalkeeper. 2. Hector Bellerin. 3. Kieran Tierney. 5. Socrates Papastathopoulos. 8. Danny Ceballos. 9. Alexandre Lacazette. 10. Masut Ozil. 11. Lucas Torreira. 14. Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang. 15. Ainsley Maitland-Niles. 16. Rob Holding. 17. Cedric Suarez. 19. Nicolas Pepe. 20. Schroeder Mustafi. 21. Callum Chambers. 22. Pablo Mori. 23. David Lewis. 24. Rhys Nelson. 26. Emiliano Martinez, goalkeeper. 28. Joe Willock. 29. Matteo Ganduzzi. 30. Eddie Nketiah. 31. Zyrd Kolasinac. 33. Matt Macy, goalkeeper. 34. Granit Xhaka. 35. Gabriel Martinelli. 77. Bukayo Saka. For West Ham United, manager David Moyes, purple shirts, shorts and socks. 1. Lukasz Fabianski, goalkeeper. 2. Winston Reid. 3. Aaron Cresswell. 4. Fabian Balbuena. 5. Pablo Zabaleta. 7. Andriy Yarmolenko. 8. Felipe Anderson. 10. Manuel Lanzini. 11. Robert Snodgrass. 15. Carlos Sanchez. 16. Mark Noble. 17. Jared Bowen. 18. Pablo Fornells. 19. Jack Wilshire. 20. Gonchalo Cardoso. 21. Angelo Ogbonna. 22. Sebastian Haller. 23. Issa Diop. 24. Ryan Fredericks. 25. David Martin, goalkeeper. 26. Arthur Masuaku. 27. Albion Ajeti. 28. Thomas Suchek. 30. Mikhail Antonio. 35. Darren Randolph, goalkeeper. 41. Declan Rice. 44. Bernardo Rosa. 49. Joseph Anang, goalkeeper. 52. Jeremy Ngarkia. 53. Ben Johnson. Match officials, referee Martin Atkinson. Assistant referees, Lee Betts, Sean Massialis. Fourth official, John Brooks. VAR official, Kevin Friend. Additional VAR official, Simon Beck. Today's other fixtures, 3pm unless stated. Liverpool vs Bournemouth at 12.30pm. Crystal Palace vs Watford. Sheffield United vs Norwich City. Southampton vs Newcastle United. Wolverhampton Wanderers vs Brighton and Hove Albion. Burnley vs Tottenham Hotspur at 5.30pm. The Arsenal Foundation. Helping young people fulfil their potential through education and sport. Hello Arsenal, we're here with fresh beer. Camden Hell's Lager and Camden Pale Ale are now available from every draft bar at Emirates Stadium. Cheers! Camden Town Brewery, official beer partner of Arsenal FC. Facebook and Twitter, Camden Brewery. Website, camdentownbrewery.com. Feedback. 
powered by Bet Construct. Make the game, make history. 18 plus. Please gamble responsibly. BeGambleAware.org. Great shop for the Gunners. Lavazza. Official coffee of Arsenal. Lavazza, Torino, Italia, 1895.